Welcome to the Enterprise GTM Podcast, hosted by Tim Zonka and Vidya Raman. Each episode takes a deep dive into how to successfully maneuver the unique dynamics of enterprise go-to-market while candidly discussing successful approaches, pitfalls, and failures alike. Our guests are seasoned company founders, GTM execs, technology buyers, and end users. Please note that the views expressed by individuals in these podcasts are not to be treated as investment advice. They are also not representing the views of their employers, current or previous. All right, so Tim and I are delighted to invite Micheline Nijme to the Enterprise GTM podcast. Micheline is the Chief Marketing Officer of JFrog, a company whose products every self-respecting developer has at some point used. As developer tools go, it doesn't get any better than that. Would you agree with that, Micheline? Absolutely. All right. So my hope as a startup investor, though, is that there is some founder out there, hopefully in the world, who does not agree with that or maybe is, is working on something that could be the next JFrog. But for now, it's JFrog. And with that, let's move over to Micheline. So Micheline has a storied career that spans early stage, fast growing startups to enterprises and this is what makes her perspectives on all things go to market, particularly for dev tools, so relevant and so special for startups. So with that, Micheline, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and your career? Yes, absolutely. And I'm excited to be here. So thanks for inviting me. So I started really my career off in sales and then had the opportunity to move into marketing shortly after. And really that helped me better understand how to market better, better understand my persona in terms of my partner, my internal client, and really understand that their challenges and their pain. And then when I got to move into marketing, I was very lucky to have amazing managers and mentors, but I got to go to different types of organizations and companies of all sizes. I started off in Sun Microsystems from a marketing side. So Developer was our, you know, bread and butter, our heart and soul of the entire organization, and then moved to Salesforce and, and went to a startup after that and took a couple of companies, went public with them as well as now at JFrog. So super excited. I've been lucky to market to all types of personas, business units, different industries. There's some consistencies across all of them when you think about marketing, large and small, but then, you know, there's challenges for each one. So thanks for the introduction. And that's where I'd love to start is, you know, you mentioned personas and marketing to them. And it's hard for startups, especially smaller ones. They don't have resources like JFrog does as you've succeeded over the years. So one of the struggles is how do you know when to start to broaden and talk to more than one persona or more than two personas or more than three? You know, you have the notion of the user and sometimes that's different than the buyer, which is different than an influencer. So Tell us about that. Like, how do you think about the discipline of, you know, how many do you focus on and avoiding the temptation to go broader when it's too early? Yeah, you said it correctly early. So when you're starting early, don't go broad. Know your user, test out your user, make sure you understand the audience, the persona, test the message, understand their pain. And then as you start to grow and improve and see the results, then it makes sense to go broad. And you may at sometimes start broad, but only if you've tested it and you've validated it over and over. I worked for a company where their CEO was 
when people are saying they're passionate about customer, he was passionate about customers and he met at least seven to 10 customers every day. And he changed the message based on what he learned over time. And that was a great study for me to understand. And so I recommend learn your persona, start and focus small when you're in early stage. And then from there, begin to broaden because it depends on your motion, right? And I know we're going to talk about that in a moment, but when you think about how you're going after this audience, if it's a bottoms up motion or a top down, then you start to understand when you should broaden. It's just based on on your product and your offering. You talked about as you start to broaden to a, a second or third or whatever your next persona is, you know, doing testing. And tell us more about that. Provide some details around that. Like what kind of guidance do you give to your team so that they're thinking about, you know, looking at those adjacent users or personas or running the right sorts of tests? Like what does that look like? Yeah. So once you've mastered and you understand your persona, who you're going after. Now, first of all, before you even identify the persona, you have to, when you're building your product and when you built your product, you have to understand who they are, what their paids are and where you should find them. And once you've mastered that and you've built and given a beautiful product experience, it all starts with the product. Once you've done that and you understand the messaging and the positioning, then you start saying, how am I going to grow from there? How am I going to scale my organization from where I am today? What, what do I need to go? So one is understanding what markets you need to go after. Market means people, right? So when you're going after different geos, it means you have to start tailoring to different types of audiences. It also means as you start thinking about a multi-product offering, as you start to grow, or if your product is a little bit more complex or it's not something that you try and buy, then you start thinking, okay, if I'm influencing my practitioners, my stakeholders, my developers or DevOps engineers, they're going to influence the buyer. Now, the buyer could be the decision maker, but how do you get to the decision maker? So it depends on who you're going after. From a DevOps side, of course, our buyer is our DevOps engineer. They try it, they buy it, and then they expand it within the company. Now, as we start to scale as an organization, we wanted to go after the decision maker in terms of the VP, the the one who holds the budget, I should say, not the decision maker. Now, the budget owner, they're going to go ask the engineer do you like this product? Do you not like this product? So it'll die on the vine if they hate your product. So product comes first. And then once you start going after the budget owner, your marketing starts to change, your messaging starts to change, and how you find them, where you engage with them starts to change. So you could start early this way, as long as you understand, but sometimes you could choose to say, let's give the product to everyone who wants to use it and give them a beautiful experience. And that's what JFrog did. That's what Sun Microsystems did. And just enable the developer to give them access and a beautiful experience, a beautiful product experience. And then let the word, you know, word of mouth span. But then go back in and start really engaging from the top down. That makes a ton of sense, Micheline. So one of the things that, you know, we were wondering about, especially I think this is super relevant in the context of JFrog's flagship product, Artifactory, but also probably other products, such as when you think about code repositories, the likes of GitHub or CI CD tools, there are some tools which make sense only if adopted across an entire team, if not across an entire org. Mm -hmm. And then there are examples of tools like maybe it's an IDE, 
things which might make sense as a productivity tool, perhaps even if it's just adopted by a splatter of developers within an organization. So curious to know when it comes to especially tools which make more sense when adopted across the enterprise, how should you be thinking about when to reach the budget owners versus developers? So to be more specific, when startups start with developers in these kinds of very broad-based tools, they cannot expend a huge budget to get directly to the budget owners and the influencers. What should they then do about figuring out when is the right time to go from a team or a splatter of users to the budget owners? Yeah, it's a great question. I think first, it kind of follows on to what I was saying earlier. Start with the developer first when you're thinking about this. Win the hearts and minds of the community. That's number one. Engage with them at their level in terms of where they are, You know how to engage with them, how to speak with them. So events, digital plays a big role. Building even one or two people where you're engaging at the community, influencers play a big part of how you engage with them. I would start there first because they're going to be asking their manager for this tool. You don't even have to spend as much money on the budget owner right away. From a marketing perspective, we drove awareness on the decision maker, but we enabled and we really focused on the developer and the DevOps teams. That was very important. Let them try it first. And then, you know, we come in and then you can land and expand motion, right? You come in, you start with a small team, and then you sell the value. It's always value selling, nothing else. Why should you have this product offering across multiple organizations within the company or across multiple teams? There's savings there. There's ROI when you start to think about the teams come together. Really influence, you know, when you're talking about DevOps, influence the community. And you don't have to own the community. You have to be part of it. You have to listen to them. Events. We have a developer relations team that works with the community. You engage with them, work with the influencer, host events as much as you can. They could be small, little pizza and beer. We used to do that at Sun Microsystems many years ago. It worked really well, still works today. And really start from the core user, the super user. Have them love it and they will go ask their managers. Then at a certain stage, you're going to have to scale even more. And the bottoms up is not enough to get you to the next level where you want. And that's why the awareness building, making sure that people know who you are. So when they do research, when you look at the top down, you know exactly they they have access to some content that shows value. So the marketing is different, right? So when you're looking at a budget owner, what they read, what they review, how they shop, how they educate themselves is very different. Their pains are very different. So you don't have to spend a lot of money to market to them, but make your content available. And that's the different type of motion that you need. Organic search plays a big part. doesn't cost a lot of money, as you would say, paid ads. Can you talk a little bit more about the community? I mean, it's something that every you know great developer-focused company has gotten awesome at. And especially for a younger, you know, newer, smaller startup, I think it could be daunting to know, like, do we need to own the community? Do we just need to engage? Like, what's our role here? Talk more about that. What kind of guidance do you have for someone who's getting started on how to think about community without kind of overanalyzing it and, right. and figuring out how to move forward with it? Yeah. JFrog doesn't own a community. We are part of the community. We grew up and we were born from the community. Our founders 
two of our founders were, you know, developers who, when they founded JFrog Artifactory, is because they had a pain. And so understanding the community, listening to the community, attending as many events, community events is critical online. There's so many forums that you can engage with. So number one, it's like a customer, any customer, listen to them, their pain, their challenges. That's number one. And you don't have to have a big team to to do that, right? Digital allows you to do that, but also attend events. I think, you know, priority is go where they are digitally and in events and start there and listen and learn and then start building content that educates them so they can start coming to you, right? So first of all, go to them, learn what they need, and then make sure your offering is relevant to them. So when you start building your marketing and your any sort of educational content, make sure it's when they come find you, it resonates. It's not marketing fluff. Yeah. So more on that, how do you authentically market to a community? Authentic is the key word. <laughs> they have a good BS meter, right? So, you know, I think in every company that I've been at, and I've been lucky to work alongside great people and great organizations, make sure the product works. That's number one. Because if you're BSing on the product and the functionality and the quality, they're not going to trust what you say, no matter how good of a marketer you are. So if you have a product that works well and you're listening to, even if you have gaps or whatever in the product, but you're listening to them, then whatever you're saying, that's going to come out authentic. So less on the BS in terms of, you know, we say no fluff marketing. So that's something that we try to focus on that. Hire engineers in your marketing don't let, you know, hire someone who, who is technical. You just have to know how to speak to them in their terms and make sure that the value you're selling is actual value. So authenticity is what you just said, Tim, is, is exactly what you need to do. It's authentic marketing. Thanks for sharing that. What about one more community question and then we could shift topics, but I'm curious about the role of open source. Do you think it's required to engage effectively in a community or is, is that a myth that some groups hold? I think it's effective only because you're giving them something they can get access to quickly. So it does play a big part. Is there a way to not do it? Absolutely. But I do believe it plays a big part because you're giving them access and the flexibility, the freedom to try it and to play with it. So it does play a big role. Is it something that you have to do? I'm not sure that's the case. We've seen examples where that may not be, but it is an, you know, an added value. And just a question that is more about all of this, but in the context of the macroeconomic condition that we are in, being that it's a downturn, and especially startup founders have to watch every dollar that they spend, especially on marketing and sales in these kinds of climate, what have you seen when it comes to buyers and users in terms of how they are responding to marketing? And how do you think founders should adjust their focus, if you will? Yeah, I think any founder or anyone who's marketing their offering, it's know your climate, know your persona. So consolidation is huge right now. People are looking to consolidate. They're looking for savings every single way. So from a budget owner, make sure your marketing material has something about ROI, savings. And savings doesn't always have to be money. So from a developer side, it's savings of time, it's speed. From a budget owner or decision maker, it's about, you know, savings of cost. Can I get more out of what I have today? 
So you could have maybe an offering, but your customer may not be utilizing your entire solution offering. So ensuring that is top of, you know, in your messaging and marketing. So those are the things that we've started to shift right away as soon as we heard. So we focused on ROI. We did a, a study with our analyst. So as a startup, you may not have the budget to do that, but you can do that with your own customers and start asking them what savings do you have and the customers that you do have write a case study, promote that. And those are things that you could do easily with very little money. That all makes a ton of sense, Micheline. It also is something I've noticed myself, which is before the downturn, there was this, what I felt was more of a fuzzy value prop that many startups were touting, you know, the developer experience. And that literally shifted to developer productivity in just a few months. So as it relates to -to go-to-market, in community in particular, there's this kind of idea of like, you know, it's colloquially called like, you know, bottoms up or, you know, developer led or grassroots. And then a lot of companies that may start that way gain kind of mid-market and enterprise motions. And then there's this idea of like top down or account-based marketing. And so how do you think about in when you have two different kind of but related go to markets, like a bottoms up or a tops down, budget spend across those? So It depends on, again, your strategy, right? So digital is less expensive and digital you can touch, you know, many people, but be personalized. So I see many and we've done it ourselves, but when you go broad on digital and you're not personalizing, that's when you lose them. So for me, when we work as a team, we segment our audience based on how we're going to get to them. So maybe if we're going after smaller companies, digital, heavy digital play will play a big role. And then we segment a key accounts, a few accounts that we want to reach in a very account-based motion. People use the word account-based marketing. I don't like to use that only because they think marketing is only doing the targeting, but it's, you said it right, it's account-based approach where it's sales, marketing, partners, the community. So we're building really a strategy to understand these key accounts. And these are large accounts, so you can't have many of them. You have a very select few, and then you learn about them. You understand who the contacts that matter. You understand their strategy for the organization. And then you build a very deliberate nurture program to educate them, to start engaging with them. And then you start maybe bringing them into you know, certain types of events you know, to do one-on-one personalizations. From a digital side, it's much more, you know, offering them a a trial, a mass demo. So the marketing of that is a little bit different, but your pricing and packaging changes, the way your sales structure will be much different, the way you nurture them, you know, between digital and account base is very different and outbound versus inbound. How do you reach them? What sales structure do you want to build to go after these small select accounts versus the larger mass digital play? Thank you for sharing that, Micheline. I guess given what we've discussed about community, open source, and you know other ways of marketing, just curious to know what common myths or mistakes you've come across and that founders have made in your career? One is developers don't like marketers. (laughs) They don't, but it's a myth that developers can't be marketed to. I think no one likes to be marketed to. It's how you speak to them, right? No, I don't want to be pitched at and I'm a marketer and I probably can take more sales calls than developers will, but how they're communicated, that's a myth. So content, content is king. It's an old saying and it still applies true. 
make sure it's educational content, it's content that resonates with them and provides value. The importance of community, I think sometimes there's mistakes done there only because they underestimate the value of engaging and getting to know the community. That's a mistake, maybe more than just a myth. And product experience, you know, they may underestimate the value of a beautiful, beautiful product experience. You only get one shot. And if you try it and you don't like it, you're done. You, they find a trouble using it or engaging with your product. They don't need to go any further. They'll just go to the next competitor that you have. So those are some things that are, to me, have come across that are myths or mistakes. Couldn't agree with you more on that, particularly on product, which is paramount for developers here, foundational. One thing you were mentioning a few minutes ago about community is that, you know, you don't have to own it. But what's more important is that you need to stay authentic and engaged with the community. Uh So in that sense, I'm curious to know, in your experience, have you seen startups be able to harness an existing community? Perhaps that's a community that's been started and nurtured by a larger incumbent. But have you seen examples of where startups have been able to harness such existing communities to then help them take off? Or is that something you wouldn't advise in general? Harnessing versus owning? Harnessing versus creating your own. Creating uh, own yeah. yeah. JFrog did it. They don't own a community. I mean, we maybe we are part of Conan community and we, we own that. But otherwise, we are part of so many different communities. And so it's not easy. It's not common. So yes, do I recommend it? If you can do it, I think that's a great way to do it because it's very hard to create a community. It's not an easy thing to do. Of course, many companies, you know, we've seen it done over and over, but harnessing, I think you can definitely, it's, it's definitely doable. We've seen it with a couple of companies. Totally. And I wonder also, you know, when you're trying to harness an existing community, over time, of course, you want to have a significant share of voice in a community, if there is a predominant one, or if there are multiple communities, then the founders just have to touch upon enough number of communities to create a critical mass of buzz in the market. So does it come down to like identifying which communities you want to be a part of and doubling down on the ones where you're having a decent impact? Or do you think it's more of that and maybe, you know, also a combination of other things, traditional marketing that helps augment your presence in communities? Focus, for sure. Identify one or two that you really are in depth and integrated with in terms of knowing what you do. You know, again, I always use it's a marketing phrase, but it's winning their hearts and minds for sure. Making sure that you've invested in one or two communities. But as you grow, invest in a developer relations team. So you identify a few. We don't, it's not like we have 10, 20 communities we want to be part of. Even as a company our size, we're very focused on where our value will be for developers. And we, we focus on there. And, you know, as you grow, it evolves, either it gets replaced or evolves and the community can be on its own, right? You know, your, your presence is on its own digitally as well as in person, but absolutely start and focus on a couple. I love to hear that F word. Absolutely love it. And it's especially nice to hear that coming from, you know, someone like yourself, just given the stature of JFrog. So it's incredibly more important for all those startup founders out there that are trying to make an impact with communities. Uh, Focus is the key. So I think we are down to our last topic or question here. So you've seen 
a few significant industry developments in your career, Micheline, right, including the movement to the cloud, the rise of the importance of developers and making enterprise product purchases, just to name a few. And these changes have affected how we market and sell software and who we market and sell software to. What are some things that you are seeing now that you think will drive more changes to how software distribution will happen in a few years from now, particularly as it's related to dev tools? Yeah, moving to the cloud, cloud migration is nowhere near done. You would think that I grew up very cloud-based marketer, and then I come to a company that hybrid is still alive and well, and organizations are still in many different industries, still just starting their venture, believe it or not, or their hybrid at least, and have not fully moved to the cloud. So that's one. The rise of open source software, Tim, you mentioned that earlier. When you have more open source software out there, that means you will have potential security vulnerabilities and hacks. So security is huge in the software development space. And you'll find more and more as companies are releasing more software, you're going to find hackers targeting developers now. We always say developers have a target on their back because now they're penetrating you know, at the development level and organizations, our customers are top of mind as security over anything. So when you think about DevOps today in the process, security is number one in terms of making sure that it's secure. Also shifting left of security, that's the third. And then the last one, of course, is I'm sure you're not surprised is AI. So AI is huge. And I think what you're seeing in the software development is like the tip of the spear. We're not even scratching the surface on what we're going to see with AI and software development. That's going to be huge in the future or near future, I'm sure. Totally. And no conversation, particularly no podcast can be complete without uttering the the word AI. <laughs> so there we go. Well, this yeah. was such a pleasure to chat with you here. Thank you very much for making the time, Mishli. Thank you for having me. Great to meet you both. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Enterprise GTM podcast. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on your favorite podcast platform so we can continue to help enterprise founders thrive. Thank you.